Hi, my name is Carly and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message. What's up, Risers? How you guys doing this morning? Was that good? Do you feel God's presence? We're not a church that's interested in, in just hearing a good message or hearing a good song service as it used to be called. It's all about the presence of God. If he's not here, there's no reason for us to be here. Come on, y'all. Hey, my name is Brent. As Pastor Ken just said, I'm the lead pastor here. And if we've never met, it's really exciting to meet you. Hopefully I can meet you afterwards in just a few moments. We're going to continue to experience God together today uh, through the word. And I think God's going to impress some things upon you over the next few moments. Uh, as well as we always want to celebrate. Actually, before I do that, I need to say hi to everybody online. I, I forget that too often, but everybody who's online, thank you guys for tuning in. Do me a favor and share this on your pages or uh, whatever you're on right now. Just if you could share it, that would be great. Uh, for everybody that's here, uh, we always want to celebrate as we get started. And we have an unusual celebration this week, uh, something that doesn't happen all the time. But two weeks ago, we brought up Joel and Brittany Maylett and celebrated how they are planting Salvation City Church. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, and uh, you guys gave sacrificially towards that, and we're helping to launch this church, and many years from now, we can all look back on it and see what God's done and how you were a part of that, or we were a part of that in the infancy stages, and, uh, and that's a beautiful thing, but Joel and Brittany were our college and career leaders, our young adult leaders uh, for the last several years, and so we kind of left a vacancy there. Well, we had been praying about that and seeking the Lord about that long before we announced it to the church because we knew this was coming. And, uh, and we unanimously were very excited to find our next young adult leaders. And so would you guys put your hands together and welcome to the stage Brandon and Nicole Holmes. They're around here somewhere. Oh, they're over here. Uh, Brandon and Nicole have been running back and forth this morning. They, they went to our Rise India campus last night and shared with the Rise India folks. Then they were here at 9 a.m. Then they ran down the South Shore to do this, and they're coming back because we want everybody to see their beautiful faces. And uh, uh, so Brandon and Nicole uh, actually are in the second year of Arise School of Ministry. Come on, y'all. How about Arise? Which is beautiful because that's one of the reasons we have ASOM, our school of ministry, is so that we can raise up leaders through it. And, uh, and these are some leaders that have been raised up. And, and uh, so we'd love to hear the short versions of your stories. Pastor Joshua says, I always have to ask this question first. How did you hear about Arise? So we heard about Arise through a yard sign. We had a neighbor that had a yard sign, and we came here on a Wednesday night, and it's been home ever since. And Pastor Joshua is like, tell them the yard signs work. Get your yard signs out there in your yards. And uh, every time we put those out, put out yard signs. So that's pretty cool. So, so real fast, just, um, so, so you're a graduate of? Florida State. I'm glad you said that first. You learned from previous mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Because you're also a graduate from? I don't want to acknowledge the UCF, the uh, allegiance to UCF. Yeah, yeah. so your bachelor's with UCF, but then right. you got saved and went to Florida State. Uh, <laughs> Something like that, yeah. You graduated yeah. from Florida State uh, well, School of Law. Alabama. Uh, is it yeah. law school or school of law? How do they say it? Uh, law school. Yep. Law school yep. at Florida State. And then you graduated from? I graduated from USF. So we just got like all the state schools represented right here. Like, you know, the ones that matters. <laughs> University of Miami does not matter. Amen. No. <laughs> what? What? You want some? <laughs> not in football this year. Though. Not in football this no. year. Anyway, uh, so tell us real quick, like, you know, so are you guys excited about this? Uh, what do you have in planned? Just, just share with us for a moment. Yeah, we are extremely excited. We're extremely blessed to be able to be trusted with this opportunity and this way to serve the Lord. Um, 
And we are so excited to fill this void. We know that the young adult group is, that's an age group that's not frequently touched. Um, and we know that a lot of churches don't have that tie to the young adult age group. And that's when people start to leave the church and sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. But we want to be that tie and we want to essentially just create an environment where everyone's free. You know, everyone's fun, everyone's having a good time. Nobody's being persecuted for their beliefs or unbeliefs. Um, and, and doing that, we hope to create some momentum and have the young adults be the group that steps up and they grow the church and they don't shy away from the church. They don't leave the church. Yeah. So young adults are 18 to 29 in our church. And uh, so tell us about your first meeting. What do you guys have planned? How do they sign up? So I think that we tend to overcomplicate things in our society today, myself included. Um, and I think it's so important that we get back to what the Bible says about gathering together and eating together. And um, just last night, we were reading in Luke um, about when Jesus resurrected and he came back. And one of the first things that he said to his disciples was, you guys have any food? So, Sounds like a college student, doesn't yes, it? Yes, yes. So um, we took from that, and we think there's a powerful connection between food and the Holy Spirit. So um, we want to open up our home. Um, October 17th, we're going to be launching at noon. Um, we're going to have some food, play some games, watch some football. Um, so we hope that you guys can join us. And um, if you guys can find more information on that, our address and everything, um, on the MyRise uh, website on the events page and also we have um, social media it's, uh, arise young adults um, so we'd love to see you guys there yeah. and the uh, church center app is on the church center app if you want to yes. sign up and that kind of thing I think was one of the things they said to do so so jump on that I'm super excited about Brandon and Nicole and the future of Arise Young Adults as God continues to progress that to the future. Make sure you jump in with them if you're in that age group. And they've been back and forth all morning, so they haven't been able to greet people kind of at the end of a service. But today they'll be here at the end of the service. Uh, we'll keep them over there by us on the right. So make sure if you're in that age group, come over and hang out with them. Uh, the best days are yet to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Put your hands together one more time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So last weekend, I was out of state. Uh, my grandmother, who's 94 years old, uh, they've called in hospice. And so it worked out. So my brother and I were able to go up to Alabama. Can you move it about a foot closer? Uh, my brother and I were able to go up to Alabama and, uh, and visit with my grandmother before, she, before she's going to pass. And, and while we were up there, I'm sitting in this recliner, kind of like this. It's brown, but kind of like this. And, and sitting in this recliner, and I'm like, man, this is comfortable. And I remembered the days when my wife let me have a recliner. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because it was ugly. Because a good recliner is not pretty. Like the pretty ones are not usually the good ones. The ones that are the good ones are the, like they got the, the faux leather ripping off. You know what I mean? You can kind of pull it off and it's falling apart. And, but that's when it gets comfortable. And you fall down in that and you just melt into it. And we're sitting up there in Alabama and had this sweet little father moment where Elijah's like, that's like your old recliner, dad. And I'm like, oh yeah, you remember that thing? Because he was little. I went back when Ada let me have recliners. And I said, you remember that thing? And he said, yeah, you used to hold me in my lap when you were in the recliner. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet, so cute. And I was just thinking about that with the recliner and how we live in a society today that values comfort at all costs. Like everything is about how comfortable are you, our comfortable Christianity. Uh, and it values comfort at all costs. But that can have some negative side effects because... Comfort can become the great enemy of our potential. Comfort can become the great enemy of our potential. In fact, when you get comfortable, you stop living up to your potential. Jim Collins, the great leadership author, famously said, good is the enemy of great. Because the very fact that we have good prevents us from ever stepping into great. Because we get comfortable with good, 
And so we never step into the greatness that we could be. And comfortability, it, it kind of does that. It's like this old recliner. It kind of sucks us in. And it keeps us from pressing forward. It kind of lulls us to sleep. A good recliner's like that. Like, it'll just put you out, man. It's like NASCAR. NASCAR puts me right to sleep. I don't know if I'm the only one in this room. If I really can't sleep, just watch NASCAR. I'm sorry. I love you, NASCAR people. But you get comfortable with life, and then you don't finish that degree. Because why would you? It's comfortable. You don't need it. Yeah, you could be better. Yeah, maybe you could, uh, you know, affect the world in a greater way, but you don't need to. It's comfortable. So why earn that degree? Why, why do that? Why would you want to step into that new career when you're comfortable in the one you have now? And so we just get comfortable. Why would I want to start a new business and own that responsibility that the Lord may be calling me to when I'm comfortable in the job that I have right now? Why would I want to mentor that person? I, I, I have my time that I like to spend the way that I like to spend it. I don't want to spend time mentoring somebody. So we get, we get comfortable. And the more we stay comfortable, the less we actually accomplish. And it gets kind of easy. It's kind of nice. I like preaching this way, by the way. <coughs> I'm thinking about just installing this in the church at all time. And, and, and why would I want to go feed the hungry when I'm not the one who's hungry? I'm not, I'm comfortable. Why would I want to give up my time to do things like that? Why, why would I want to build that relationship when I'm comfortable with the relationships I have? Why do I keep pressing forward when I'm comfortable? And when you get into this comfortable place, your potential ends up hurting. The things that God wants to get out of you become hurting because we're comfortable where we are. What happens when it goes beyond just an individual in our own individual com comfort? What happens when an entire church becomes comfortable? What happens when a whole nation of churches, like capital C Church, becomes comfortable? Maybe when that happens, people stop caring about the church and they start caring about politics. Maybe politicians replace pastors as the people who are preaching to the world. Because the church actually steps out of the potential that God has called them to and steps into a place of comfort and honestly laziness because it's easy. It's nice. So <clears throat> we've been in this series. It's the end of the world as we know it. We're studying the book of Revelation. Today we are on the last church in the book of Revelation. Uh, we will have quite a few more parts of this series on other subjects. But the seven churches we've been looking at for seven weeks in a row, and today is the last of the seven churches, it's a very famous one that you've probably heard of. Of all the churches you've heard of this one, it's called Laodicea. <clears throat> uh, Laodicea was the wealthiest of all the churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation because uh, it was a place where three major roads collided and created an intersection where they had an, a very great banking industry there. And they, they made black wool there. and They had a medical school there. And they made this ointment for their eyes that they would make there and sell all around the world. And they were very wealthy. And that wealth meant that they could build theaters and, and they built huge stadiums and public baths and all these things that were big at the time. Shopping centers for, at the time, that were very prestigious and they were so wealthy and so comfortable that when a earthquake hit the city in AD 60 in that region, the same one that Pastor Joshua mentioned last week if you were here, when that earthquake hit, they were so wealthy that they said, no government, we don't need your stimulus checks. We got it. We don't need your help from the federal government. We got it. That's how comfortable they were. That's how wealthy they were. If you were a real estate agent 
in Laodicea, you would say, this is the land of opportunity. Sound familiar? They were comfortable. The American life is also built around the idea of being made comfortable. How can something make your life easier? We all want an easier, simpler, better life. And so we end up with this world where everything is easier for us than other people in the world. And we end up with what we sometimes refer to as first world problems. Anybody know first world problems? It's kind of a hashtag nowadays. Um, my, uh, we, I taught a rice school of ministry all day yesterday. And we joked about it in the class because one person was teasing and they said they went to go to Chick-fil-A, but the line was too long. And so they went to Steak and Shake instead. First world problems, right? Didn't get my Chick-fil-A, had to go to Steak and Shake because the line was too long. First world problems, right? Like, do you realize that there's this whole thing right now where phone battery anxiety is a real thing? Like when your phone battery gets low and people get anxiety from the phone battery getting low? Like it's a real thing. I'm like, First world problems, right? Like, give me a break. That's, that's pretty, pretty funny. Um, slow internet. Those are, those are first world problems. But we build this life around comfort, so anything that slightly gets in the way of our comfort becomes an issue, becomes a problem, becomes a problem because we're so very comfortable. And our churches do the same thing. So our churches have wonderful, comfortable things, like the chairs that we're sitting in. And we are so comfortable that we could even complain that the chairs are too soft or too hard. <laughs> like the air-conditioned building that we're in, and somebody will complain every Sunday under their breath somewhere that it's too cold or it's too hot. If they would switch sides of the room, they'd all be fixed. That was a joke. <laughs> we got these wonderful sound systems. We got lighting. We got things on the screens. We got uh, great sound systems. We, 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 we've got the microphones. We, we've got all these things that make us so very we got committees, we got plans, we got money, we got all these things that make us so comfortable. We are so blessed that if we're not careful, that comfort keeps us from the potential of what God wants to do in and through us. And it's not just the Church of the United States that faced this, that's the exact same thing that the Church of Laodicea was facing. They were so comfortable that God gives them a name. <clears throat> It's a name that as soon as I say it, all of you that grew up in church will recognize this name because you've all heard it preached at some point or other in the past. God says that the church, Jesus says that the church of Laodicea is lukewarm. Lukewarm. Now, if you grew up in church, you heard sermons on being lukewarm at some point. Don't be lukewarm. God will spit you out of his mouth. That's what happens when we get comfortable. So, I want to teach this in a different way, a unique way. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Throw this up on the screen. Let's talk about it for a second. I want to read this, and then I want to take you on a different journey than what we might normally expect in this message. It says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. <clears throat> I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one of the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some theologians and scholars would say that you could very well say, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is a gross picture. I got to get you out of me if you're water. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. 
I've got a great building with air conditioning and chairs and lighting and, and I, got a, I, I got all this stuff. We got a great band. We got great worship teams. We got friendly people. We got great parking. I got all this stuff. And you say, I am rich. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and <clears throat> naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve for your eyes so that you can see. This is a city that's known for their medical school where they give eyes, that, 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 uh, a balm that heals eyes. And he's saying, your eyes are blind. I will give you a balm to heal your eyes. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I want to go on a different style of message than what we would normally do. Is it okay if we go deep this morning? Put on your philosophical hat. Let's not just take a surface approach. Because here's the thing. I've heard this passage preached. It's probably preached more than any other portion of the book of Revelation. I have preached it myself. I've heard it preached, I don't know how many times. And I just can't give you the nuggets that everybody else would give. So I want to take us on a journey to a deeper place with not just this passage, but what I believe is a prophetic statement for our nation right now. And I want to start, because to give it a, a proper characteristic, i got to start in this place. That comfort oftentimes creates a spirit <clears throat> of <clears throat> lukewarmness. When you are around cold people, lukewarmness appears hot. And when we live in a cold United States of America, you can be a lukewarm Christian that appears hot to yourself and to others. So I want to start even on a different place because if I'm being honest with us, with myself, I might think I'm hot because I judge myself, myself not on the potential of what God has called me to do, but on the comfort of our society. And so I think I'm hot, but God might be saying, you're actually very lukewarm, Brent. And I come into this place realizing as I look around the room, many of us think that we are hot when Jesus might be saying, you think that because you're judging by the wrong standard. I will spit you out of my mouth so fast. And we got to start there for where a true assessment of where we really are. Because you're judging by other standards. Think about this, and, I, and I'm not beating anybody up. I just want you to process some things. How many people have you led to Christ recently? Personally. I didn't say bring to church. Like, personally led to Christ. Are you hot or cold? How many deep spiritual moments have you had with God recently, excluding in this service? <laughs> are you hot or are you cold? How many things, deep, powerful words from God has he spoken into your soul over the last month? How infected are you as an evangelist that you can't keep your mouth quiet about what God has done? All of a sudden, we're not nearly as hot as we think we are. And I think we end up lukewarm. And so I want to start at the very place of saying, I'm just going to assume we're lukewarm. Because I think that's a little more accurate for America. And how do we turn that around? So at the beginning, if you're taking notes, the first thing is we begin to make this make sense. The divide is beginning in America. Many people might say, what divide are you talking about? 
Right? America's very divided, you know, elephants and donkeys and red states and blue states and, and you know, colors. And America's very divided. That's not what I'm talking about. Many years ago, I used to hear every prophet that would come through the church talk about a divide is coming to the church, a divide is coming to the church, a divide is coming to the church. And I believe we are at the stage now where it's not talked about, where we're beginning to see it, the beginning stages of this divide coming. You see it mentioned throughout the Bible. You're divided by sheep and goats. You're divided by weeds and wheat. You're divided when the, when the nets come up. And in Matthew 13, when they bring up the nets and, and, and the angels divide out the fish they want and the ones they don't want. There is a divide that happens inside the church where God takes up the church like this and says, some are cold, some are lukewarm, but there's a few who are hot. And I believe there's a divide that's coming. I believe that divide is going to become, and this is a prophetic word for the church, so I want you to hear me. I believe that there is persecution that is coming to the church that used to be decades away that are now probably, probably years away and months away. I believe we're at the beginning stages of seeing some of it. Uh, this persecution especially comes around anything to do with sexual morality. If you were to actually say what you believe in some of your businesses right now, you would lose your jobs. That is only going to continually progress and become stronger. And as that happens, persecution divides the church from those who are willing to stand on the word of God and those who are not. And persecution divides like nothing else divides. And all of a sudden you find out who the hot believers really are and sadly probably how few there really are. And this divide begins to happen. And I believe we're seeing the beginning of it right now. How are you going to handle it when people call you names or make fun of you because of what you believe? Some people will stand up for that. I hope many of us. Other people slowly, one at a time, will cave to that. And so this divide begins to happen. And I believe we're at the beginning of that divide right now. So assuming the divide is coming and assuming that we are lukewarm, let me show you, instead of, instead of the normal lukewarm message, let me just show you based on past revivals, based on past move of God's, what it looks like to actually come back around. To go from Jesus-centered, or, or, or back to Jesus-centered, from the direction we're going of secular-centered. If you picture an interstate, if you picture going somewhere and you're on the journey, you're on the path, right? And you're going to this place, and you picture it, at some point you've got to get an off-ramp to start turning around. <clears throat> Crisis can be the gateway to revival. I say it can be, not it is, because it's up to how we respond to the crisis, whether it is or not. But crisis becomes the off-ramp to start going the other direction. There's a shaking that happens within crises, crises when, they, when they hit us, that get our attention. C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rise, to rouse a, de a deaf world. You you've heard us say it every week, crisis precedes revival. Even in your own lives, most of us, and unless you were that person that was like born saved and you grew up in church, and I love you guys who were like that, and like you got saved in the nursery and you were witnessing to the crib next to you in the nursery, and you know, by the time you were in sixth grade, you had led your entire, entire middle school to Jesus, and you were see you at the pole, you invented see you at the pole, whatever, you were that person. And I know there's some of you, and I love that. I, I really do. But most, of pe most people who got saved along the journey somewhere, you got saved because of a crisis that hit you first that shook you a little bit and caused you to look to God. Now, it's not 100% true, but it's almost always true. 
I got saved after I broke my ankle playing basketball and I got time and I had to sit still for a while and found out life wasn't working the way I thought it was going to work. I had a little personal crisis, ended up leading me to Jesus. Many people get saved when your, your wife or husband leaves you and, and you think my world is shattered and falling apart. So what do you do? You run back to Jesus and you give your life to Jesus and you get saved that way. Some people get saved as teenagers when their parents get divorced and they're just lost. And out of that crisis comes something beautiful. But you see this pattern happen over and over and over. It could be a, a physical health problem. You go to the doctor, get a bad report. You run to Jesus. Crisis has a way of preceding a revival. That's true in your own life, but that's also true when it comes to a nation, when it comes to a big picture revival, what you might refer to as a, a revival instead of a renewal. <clears throat> you actually see that over and over throughout church history. Out of difficult times in nations is where revival comes from. The highest attended time in American history for church attendance actually is right after World War II. Men are coming back from World War II. They are messed up mentally and physically and emotionally and, and, and all this. And they come back and all of a sudden what happens out of that crisis? They run back to God. And, and you see this pattern over and over and over and over again. In fact, I, I, if you were to go to my office in my house, my, my home office, uh, behind my uh, bookshelf, I have some things on the, on the back of that that, that always remind me of, of, of pertinent things to me. And in 1961, the, the, I'm sorry, 1966, the Time Life magazine had the very famous Nietzsche quote, and he said, is God dead? Because they were really questioning, is God dead in America? Are we done with this God thing? Is God dead? And Americans were confused and burdened by this. Five years later, in 1971, only five years later, was the famous Time Life magazine, The Jesus Revolution. And in five years, we went from, is God dead? To look at this revolution of hippies following Jesus that I've never seen before came out of nowhere. All these hippies that were on drugs all of a sudden now getting high on Jesus and they didn't cut their hair. They didn't, they didn't stop with the tattoos. They're all a little weird. They're not always loud in the Orthodox churches. But there's this revival thing happening through all these hippies. What's going on in this country? And out of crisis, out of the barrenness of the gospel, out of the barrenness of what God's doing comes something beautiful on the other side of it. God's always up to something. He's always up to something. And crisis does that. Crisis is the greatest antidote to complacency in the church. When we get complacent, when we get comfortable, crisis shakes us out of that comfort. And it becomes a catalyst for revival in our world. So that first thing you got to see is the off-ramp to the direction we're going is crisis. And make no mistake, even all around the world right now, uh, around the globe right now, we have crises upon crises, but especially in the United States. In the U.S., we not only have the COVID crisis, we also have uh, a racism crisis and an injustice crisis going on. We also have uh, crises of, of borders and we have crises of finances and national debt crises. And we have so many crises that we oftentimes forget the crises because we have another one on top of it. We're like stacked, you know, like, like a, a stack of books. And we forgot that there were three down here that because that, we're just dealing with this one. We have a huge crisis of, of being disunited, being in disunity in the United States right now. That is a massive crisis. So we have crises upon crisis upon crisis. What if those crises aren't meant to destroy America but wake up the church? What if what looks like God's judgment might be God's grace? What if what looks like might be destroying us might be God's way of going, hey, wake up. Wake up. The church, wake up. I'm not done with you yet. Stop being quite so comfortable. 
and get up. What if, what if that's what the crises are meant for? Because that is what they do. They are built into life systems of every human being because you will face a crisis at some point. If you haven't yet, I need to move in with you. Come on, y'all. Put a spare bedroom for me and Ada. We will jump right into your life. Because there are always a crisis. Sometimes every six months there's a crisis. Sometimes they're bigger or smaller. But, but there's always a crisis going on somewhere. And those crises cause us to run back to the Father and out of our comfort but even in the secular world right now, even as you just watch the United States of America, what you see is that there's a shaking going on and people looking around going, this road ain't working. What, what the secular utopia that we were supposed to be going to isn't actually working. And we're in this moment of questioning the worldview that is dominant in our post-Christian America of going, I don't know if this is working the way it's supposed to be. I got more stuff than we could have ever had. We got more money, we got more cars, we got more boats, we got more toys, we got more whatever. We got more stuff than we've ever had, but we're more empty than we've ever been. And so while we have all this stuff on the outside, we're dying from depression and mental illness and, 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 and anxiety and stress. And, and the inner man is dying while the outer man seems like he has it all. And people are looking around in the midst of this crisis going, is there something that's stable? Is there something secure? This isn't working. And it becomes that off-ramp on the interstate. Which leads to the first thing under that. The first phase of revival happens when we become discontent. So it can't be just that there's a crisis. If we're going to prepare for the revival, then there has to be something inside of us that gets discontent with the way things are. We, we become discontent with our lives. We become discontent with the church. We become discontent with the world. This oftentimes goes from the, from, from the place of, of catching a glimpse of something that's greater than what you've experienced, all of a sudden you see God could do something that's beyond what I've experienced and you're all of a sudden not content where you are because you realize there's more. And this holy discontentment starts to drive you to actually turn around. This is what's happened in every revival. This is how you go cold to hot. This holy discontentment says there's more than what I'm experiencing right now. How content are you with the world? Or... How comfortable are you with your life? Because you being prepared for revival, personal renewal that's to come, is very much, a, say it this way, a barometer of how ready you are for revival is how content are you with your life. And I don't, I don't, I don't know you. I don't know your story. I don't know my story. But I can tell you this. And maybe this is just the way God wired me. I'm not content I've had these moments, especially recently, where I'm crying out to God going, God, this is not enough. And what scares me is we can have a service like we just had, and people can be healed, and miracles can happen. And some people will go, that's so good. We're happy with that. And I'm going, there's so much more that we're not experiencing. What, can, what, what if the person driving down Paul's drive is suddenly healed of cancer? What if God invades their car, heals their, their, their cavern, their, their, their whatever's going on in their eyes? What if God heals them as they drive by and they're going, there's something going on at that church? What if we've satisfied for having really good services? What if I've judged myself based on other places? I, I get in these moments where... Other churches around us and friends of mine are like, man, your church is rocking. Your church is killing it. You're doing such a great job. And in my own life, and in my own quiet time, I'm like, we're not even close to there yet. God wants to do something so much greater. God wants to rip this stage apart. God wants to speak to every person through one voice. 
God wants to do something where people walk in the room and there's like a filter of the Holy Spirit and they walk in and anything unclean just comes off of them. People walk in drunk and they walk out drunk on the Holy Spirit. People, people can't even walk out of the room because God moves in such a way you're scared. You ever been in God's presence and you're scared to move? And we're not counting the clock. We're not going, oh, well, Denny's is going to close. We're not counting. Denny's never closes, but you're not counting the clock to get to Golden Corral or whatever. Because you're so enveloped with God's presence, you just can't leave. The biblical word they would use would be undone. But, but, but that has to come from this holy discontentment. I'm not okay with the way things are, as good as they are. And they are good. But good is the enemy of great. And lukewarm looks really hot when you're in a cold environment. And I know God has more for our church. God has more for me than I've ever been experiencing in the past. And he's not done. And the temptation is to get comfortable, to be happy. But those who start the path of revival find themselves in this place of holy discontentment. That's the beginning stage. It's the first phase. Many of you in this room are at that phase. I've talked to you individually. And it's like, I love what God's doing, but it's not done. I'm not satisfied. Now, this is not a holy discontentment that focuses back on yourself and hates yourself because of something. This is a holy discontentment that recognizes God is calling us higher. And we're not there yet. And we're not going to stop until we get there. We're going to do all we can to keep pressing, keep pushing, keep contending for what God has for us. And we get in that place where we're just not content. <laughs> Larry Sparks, the church leader and author, says this. Prayer for revival starts when, being so, when you're being so gripped by heaven's vision of the Christian life that everything you have embraced as normal becomes unacceptable and you start pressing in for everything Jesus made available to you. Have you got there? Have you got to the place that good is not good enough? I don't need another good service. And I'm sorry if you don't like this. This is our church. We're weird like that. Because I've had other people come in and they're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, you ain't seen nothing because we're not even, we're, we're, in the, we're, we're in the 10 yard line running for the goal line. We're, we got a long way to go. We're not even there yet. God's not done with us. And on this journey, so you go from holy discontentment on this journey to a place of surrender. Because holy discontentment will lead to the place where you begin to surrender yourself fully and completely over to God which becomes a place of preparation. We'll come back to that in a second. And so we, we surrender ourselves over to God. The problem is that the American culture, the, the fish tank that we swim in, fights against this act of surrender. When's the last movie you watched where the hero of the movie is the one who surrenders in the end? We don't celebrate people who surrender. We celebrate people who are victorious and they fight to the end and they never quit. We celebrate those gritty heroes like Rambo and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all those. And we celebrate those guys. We don't celebrate quitters. We don't celebrate people who surrender. But yet, those with this holy discontentment will follow a Christ that teaches that if you actually surrender, you become victorious. So it's in that act of surrender that fights against our nature and it fights against everything we've been taught our whole lives that as we give ourselves over to Christ, he actually turns us into conquerors, more than conquerors, actually. But our culture, we get too easily distracted. We get too satisfied with our culture. We get too comfortable. And our culture fights 
against this, but real revival starts when we get to the end of ourselves and we're breaking down our very natures and surrendering it over to God and saying, God, whatever you have for me, I want it. Here's the thing that happens too when we talk about revival. This is so key. So key for our church to hear. When we talk about revival, I believe what has happened. This is my theory is that preachers for a long time, we have said in our sermons, we've said, you need this and you need that and you need that. And so we've done it so well that we've taught our church to go out into the world and point at everybody else and go, you need that and the president needs to get saved and that person needs to get saved and you need to do this. And just, when the truth is, the Bible is a mirror, not a magnifying glass. It's meant to reflect back on you, not take it to be a mirror or a magnifying glass to see everybody else's problems. And so you reflect back on you. And the truth is, I need revival, not them. The truth is, it's not that our county needs revival. I need revival. You need revival. Individually, it starts, and you take responsibility with your holy discontentment. You don't play the blame game that the problem is everybody else. You focus on yourself because the revival that God wants to do doesn't start in a region. It starts in a person. Is this too deep? Y'all are getting me all excited. What happens is the surrender... It's a beautiful thing. I've said this a thousand times, but surrender is the doorway to the kingdom of God. Surrender and repentance. You, you surrender your life. That's how you enter into the kingdom of God. What happens, though, is as you surrender, it prepares the way of the Lord. It prepares God's presence to be able to come. My, 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 um, my grandfather was in World War II. And the story, is, as I've heard, it goes like this. That, that I think he only made it to third grade, if I remember correctly. So he didn't read and write real well. Uh, backwoods of Alabama back then, and, and so he enters the service. I think he was drafted and enters the service, and because he was not educated, I guess he was not smart enough to fight in the, in the military, in the infantry like a normal person back then, because uh, you're not smart enough to shoot a gun, and so, uh, so they put him in the construction crews that would make runways and different projects like that around to prepare for things. They put him in that. I think later on he drove an ambulance as well, gave him those kind of responsibilities because he didn't have the education level, and so so they, they, they said he would go with the crew and find a, you know, a valley or a, a place with a lot of grass and a few trees, and they would take out the trees that were there, and they would build a runway so that planes could land and take off and helicopters and different things like that that needed to happen during the war. And he would create those spaces for runways to happen. Surrender prepares your heart like a runway for the Holy Spirit. It's like putting the plain runway and the Holy Spirit is looking for someone he can use. He's looking for someone who will prepare the way of the Lord before him. Surrender prepares your heart so that he can land on it. You can't make revival happen, but you can prepare for it. Surrender is what prepares for it. And so you get in this place of surrender, which is also a place of preparation. That ends up leading to a place of contending. Contending. (laughs) See, Contending most of the time when we talk about contending, if I were to bring it up in this room and talk about fighting the good fight and contending for the faith, most of us would get this image of contending prayer and fighting demons and and doing spiritual warfare and fighting in the heavenlies. And and I'm not saying that's not accurate. But again, I don't want to make this all out there. I want to make it right here. Because you cannot contend against somebody else's demons until you contend with your own flesh. And most of us want to contend with some regional authority and this demon over Tampa, whatever, I don't know. And you want to contend with that thing out there, but you can't even contend with the thing going on inside of us. And we're getting beat up by our own sin cycles and our own flesh. And contending in this means you're actually, say it this way, 
Consumer Christianity is directly opposed to contending Christianity. Consumer or comfortable Christianity sits back and is comfortable. Contending Christianity gets up and says, I'm going to do war with myself. I am going to beat my own flesh, as Paul would say. I am going to go to war with my own self, not because it's comfortable, because it's anything but comfortable, but because it's worth it. So you start to do things. You start to do things in contending that, that, are, that are weird, totally uncultural, totally strange to our society today. Weird things. Like, 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 am I allowed to say this word? Pull your toes in. Like fasting. I live less than a mile from McDonald's, Burger King, and a Dunkin' Donuts. And somebody looking at me going, you're not eating? Why? Because it's opposite of our culture. It's comfortable to eat. It is not comfortable not to fast or to fast. Can can I really step on toes? In the last few years, I have watched, and I know sometimes there's health reasons for this. I have watched where in general, fasting has become dieting. Again, pull your toes in. I'll pull mine in. And so we fast. I'm going to fast desserts, Pastor. Okay. Sounds like a diet. Just saying. Y'all can throw stones later. Well, I'm going to fast coffee. That's probably a good idea, and it might be somewhat of a struggle. But if that's the depth of our willingness to contend with our flesh, we're not going very deep. You start fasting like, like total fasts for a day, three, a week, longer, oh, you start finding out what you're contending with. You'll fight against your own nature, your own pride, your own arrogance. I always tell people, let me fast for four days and, and I turn into the biggest puppy you've ever seen. I can be all tough and arrogant and cocky before that. Let me go without eating for a few days. I am as malleable by God as you'll find. Like, God, whatever you want to do, right? You're just, what? Because you're crucifying the flesh, your own. And you can't crucify that demon out there until you first crucify your own flesh. (laughs) Contending is where that surrender leads to. So I get to this place of surrender, which leads to this place of contending, which is weird and awkward by today's standards. Because we're all about comfort. But Jesus is teaching us to contend. And that's why... That's why as, as we go through these, these things, as we go through these phases, these steps, with each one, you're going to lose some people. You're going to lose, you lose a few more and more and more. And the group gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And these contenders eventually get called by another name. In the Bible, they would call them a remnant. Because not everybody's willing to pay that price. And it's out of that that the remnant of revival begins to be formed. These remnants that create revival, there's not a lot of them. There's not thousands in this church. There's not, there's not, there's not a lot of them. But, but, but don't, don't mistake that for being puny. There may be few, but they are powerful. They may be few, but they walk in the presence of God. There may not be a, a, a whole multitude of them, but make no mistake, they sound like a multitude in the spirit realm when they march together. There's a remnant that I believe is being formed in America even today of those who are going to contend with their own flesh and fight against their own natures and refuse to be like everybody else and live for Christ amidst what's going on. Those remnants are like hot coals 
that they heat up the people around them. Those remnants are not cold. They are not lukewarm. Those are the ones that end up being hot. And they are small in number, but they are powerful in presence. Martin Luther, the great reformer, would call these cells of renewal. Cells of revival. They're, 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 they're people that reform. They're reformers in so many ways. Because they refuse to be formed into the pattern of this world. Like 12, Romans 12.2 would say, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. The pattern of this world says, sit back, enjoy, be comfortable. But there are some, and I hope the Spirit of the Lord is calling to some of you this morning, there are some who are going to press through, who are going to go deeper, who are going to deny the flesh, who are going to fight for the things that God cares about, who are going to contend for the faith. And those people end up being the remnant that God forms. And they break that pattern by creating holy patterns. Holy Patterns. Holy. What's a holy pattern? I was just talking to somebody before church or after, after the service, before the, ser- before the service, after the last service. He's retired and he said, for years, he said, my wife and I fasted one day a week. He said, we've kind of stopped that now. He said, I think God's calling us to do it again. What is that? That's a, that's a holy pattern. It's a holy pattern. Now, now it's not just about crucifying the flesh. Now you're creating patterns to do what's right in your life. Patterns that pave the way for others to follow. I think of, I won't call his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but there's a particular person in this room that fasts at the beginning of every month. And last I heard, they fast for the amount of days of that month. So February being the second month, they'll fast for two days. March, they fast for three days, all the way up until December for 12 days. What is that? That's a holy pattern. That's a holy pattern that sets me up and keeps me from becoming comfortable. It's a holy pattern. We, we have these patterns in our church. We have this pattern called Restoration Room once a month and Tuesday night prayer with Pastor Ada. Do you know that about 10% or less of our church comes to Restoration Room? I'm not beating you up about this. I'm just simply saying that's a holy pattern that when you get desperate enough, when you get hungry enough for God, when that crisis shakes you enough, you'll come running to God and holy desperation and discontentment with the way things are. There'll be one or two percent at Tuesday night prayer with Pastor Ada. These, 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 and here's the thing, they fight against your flesh. They contend. They fight the good fight. Because you would rather be home watching Blacklist than go to prayer. Don't lie, you know you would. I'm glad somebody's shaking their head yet. You'd be rather watching The Office. I don't know, I'll find you somewhere. you'd rather be doing that thing your flesh wants that thing but you're fighting against your own flesh contending against yourself to create through surrender these holy patterns that the remnant creates that's why not everybody will do it it's tough it's going to cause pain and persecution and difficulty that you're sometimes bringing on yourself that you are persecuting your own flesh through some of these activities But it leads to this remnant. And the remnant is where revival takes place. They reform the patterns of this world and become the great reformers. So we pattern our lives, as I wrap up, we pattern our, our lives around our loves. That's what we do. So if we truly love something, you'll find that you pattern your life around it. Uh, If you love football, you'll spend money on football games and jerseys and things like that. If you love, here's, here's a tip for all you ladies. If the guy says that he loves you, but he doesn't spend any money on you, doesn't spend any time with you, doesn't call you, doesn't text you, he doesn't love you. 
you, you pattern your life around the things you love. People, people that love jewelry will find jewelry stores on vacations, right? People that love shoes will find Foot Locker everywhere they go, right? But whatever you love, you pattern your life around it. How little have we patterned our life around Jesus? I love my time, so I pattern my life around the traffic in the mornings. I hate waiting in traffic. So I pattern my, I, I change my life around the pattern because I don't like it. I pattern my life around food because I really do like food a lot as much as I've been talking about fasting. And so sometime around lunchtime, I pattern my life around that food, <laughs> dinner and so on. How much of our life is patterned around Jesus? It's an interesting question. Because we pattern our lives around the things we love. I believe that God wants to do something great and mighty in our midst. Would you stand up with me around the room? We're going to sing a song and wrap up in a second. <clears throat> I know this message is heavier than usual. To every church in Revelation, if not every one of them, almost every one of them, I'm not positive it's everyone, but it seems like it's been every week. Jesus had says this, he who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. This is what I know is going to happen this morning. There are some that you're not going to hear this. There are some in this room that like, you know, in one ear, out the other, you're not going to receive it. You're not going to hear this. But there are others that God is calling you deeper. He's calling you to contend. He's calling you, because some of you, you already have this, this holy discontentment already brewing within you. You're just not happy. You're not satisfied. You know there's more. There's more on the horizon than what you're experiencing. And there's some of us, we, we know that. And some of you, you know that. And so that holy discontentment, have you let it evolve into contending yet? Have you let it evolve into preparation and surrender yet? Have you let it grow? Because I believe that America is on course for a third great awakening. It's bigger than a rise. It's bigger than this region. America is in a shaking and churches around America are returning back to this place of repentance and prayer. We just had an event called The Return in Washington, D.C. between 50,000 and 150,000, nobody has an exact count, of people who were publicly repenting on behalf of our nation and crying out to God. I believe we're on the verge of a great awakening and it's going to be the remnant, the few, the proud, those who answer the call of God and are willing to subject themselves to difficult circumstances to walk in it. It's going to be those who lead the way. Those who have a vision that's different than the future. Those who can, who can look through the spiritual realm and see that God is not done with us. And even if I never see it in my lifetime, I'm going to pray for it. That's what a pioneer does. Even, even if I don't manifest it, I believe it and I can see it, so I'm going after it and somebody else will behind me. They'll see with their natural eyes what I see with my faith eyes. We're in that place right now and God is calling us deeper. So we're gonna sing a song in just a second. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Some of you in this room, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this morning, God is standing at the door of your heart as we just read in Revelation and he's knocking. And he's saying, will you open the door for me? You're in this moment of crisis. Will you let me in? Will you surrender? That's that key phrase. Will you give your life over to me?
If that's you in this room, I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but if that's you in the room, would you just stick your hand up and wave it at me around the room so I can pray with you? Amen. Amen. Don't wait for somebody else. Come on around this room, pray with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. So I surrender my life completely to you. From this day forward, I am yours. I repent of my sins and I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Yeah. If you just gave your life to Christ, come see one of us afterwards. We'd love to pray with you and agree with you. Do me a favor, text Jesus to 21777. We have a devotional we'd love to be able to send to you and you know, come every day and just help you on this journey as you start a new journey of faith with Jesus. All right, now let me switch gears to everybody left in here. I want to talk to the believers for a second. And I want to end with this question. How comfortable have you become? How comfortable? Because that is, that is the water that we swim in in America. It's almost impossible not to want to be comfortable in this country. Because everything revolves around comfort. So how comfortable have you become? And are you willing to break out of some of that comfort? Because comfort itself is not bad. But it can lull us to sleep. Like that recliner. Comfort's not bad. But how, how willing are you to become part of the remnant that's being formed and break out of being comfortable for the sake of Christ? How willing are you? How willing are you? So we're going to sing this last song. And during this song, I want you to recommit yourself to Christ. I want you to find a place in your chair or standing or worshiping, however you want to do it, and begin to call out to God. Begin to call out to God. Hmm. Like never before. God, we need your presence. God, we're not satisfied with the way things have been. God, our country needs you. Our families need you. We cannot continue as divided as we are. But you have said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the people who will build bridges in the middle of our divides. And bridge builders get walked on. Bridge builders sometimes get mistreated. They get misquoted. They get persecuted at times. But God, we want to be the ones who are building bridges of your presence. Building bridges to people. God, I pray that around this room there would be a spirit of repentance. Not just for our nation, not just for our city or our county, but God, for us. For judging ourselves as hot when the truth is we may not be nearly as hot as we think we are. God, we may very well be lukewarm. God, I pray that there's a fresh renewal of the spirit of holy discontent. I'm not satisfied. I want more. I want more. God, I want you to breathe in this place in such a way that we can't stand. Yes, God. I want you to breathe in this place in such a way that, yes, that, 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 that nobody has to preach a word, yet every person hears God's voice. I want you to breathe in this place in such a way that, that, that our minds are absolutely shocked and blown because of what you're doing. Things that only you can get the glory for. No person, no preacher, no worship team. Only you can get the glory for those things. Call us back to the book of Acts. 
Call us back to the place where your spirit is central to everything we're doing. Call us back to the place that we stand out like a city on a hill and we refuse to conform to our culture, but instead we are conformed to the kingdom of God. Call us back to this place, Lord. God, we repent from where we've been. We repent from our lukewarm living. Yes. We've been lukewarm and we've been loving it because it's comfortable and it's easy. And we have enough Jesus to make us happy, but enough of the world to keep us bound. God, break those things off of us. God, make us burning coals of your presence that start fires everywhere we go, in the workplaces, in the break rooms, in our families. Make us burning coals of your presence all over again. God, as this shaking is happening across America, let us be shaken as well and awakened to the things that you've called us to do, to the great potential you've put inside of us. The creator of the very universe lives within us. How dare we live below the standard that God has set for us? How many miracles are supposed to happen through our hands? How many people should be delivered through the things we say? How many people should be touched because we surrender our life over to the Lord? God, help us to live at that standard that you're calling us to, refusing to be lukewarm, but to do an about-face. Let this crisis be an off-ramp for turning things around. Hey guys, wasn't that such an amazing message? If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow our podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag MyAriseChurch. For more information or to give to this ministry, go to MyAriseChurch.com. I hope to see you guys soon.